Let us pray. Gracious God, we ask you as we begin our Lenten journey to let your spirit be upon us, to guide us and lead us. Show us the reality of our lives and help us to return again to you. And uh, now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. As we begin our Lenten journey this evening, I'm going to deviate slightly from the norm and take as my text Psalm 51. You haven't heard it yet in this service, but we'll be praying it together in a few moments after the imposition of ashes. If you'd like to have it before you, it's on page 7 of your service booklet. Every Ash Wednesday, we pray this psalm together, and with good reason. It's a psalm that holds an endless attraction for us, in part, I suppose, because it's one of the few psalms for which we're given a very specific and concrete situation as its context. A psalm of David, the heading says, when the prophet Nathan came to him after he'd gone into Bathsheba. The story of David's guilt is guilt not just of adultery, but of deception and murder. is one of the most sobering in the Bible, as it reveals that even the greatest of saints were sinners like us. And so this prayer of confession is precious to us, and it becomes our prayer when we, like David, are brought face to face with our own sin. But however familiar a psalm might be, there are still things to be discovered. One of my favorite commentators on the psalms is St. Augustine, a man who, much like David himself, had a very robust awareness of and remorse over his own sins. And in Augustine's reflections on Psalm 51, I have found an insight into one verse that has always just slid right past me. The psalm, you know, is a pretty sober prayer of confession. David begs for God's mercy. He speaks of his own wickedness. He admits that God is justified in judging him. He laments that he's been a sinner from day one and has never really gotten better. And then we come to verse 9 of the psalm. Make me hear of joy and gladness. It's strangely jarring, at least to me, that David can speak of joy and gladness in the context of such a remorseful prayer of confession. So much of the psalm is self-abasing. I've been wicked from my birth. I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. How in the face of that awareness of his own sin can David presume to speak of joy and gladness? Well, St. Augustine has an idea about this, and I'm going to get to that in a moment. But first, a a little side trip to C.S. Lewis, author of The Chronicles of Narnia and many other books. Lewis didn't become a Christian until he was an adult. And before his conversion, he was not very interesting and not particularly likable. He was indeed a rather grumpy professor with a pretty sharp tongue, which he regularly unleashed on his students and his colleagues and even his friends. But when Lewis at last came to Christ, he did an honest and comprehensive review of his own life, something, of course, that faithful Christians should do often. He was appalled by what he found. Lewis described this process in his autobiography. He recognized, he wrote, that his life was a zoo of lusts, a bedlam of ambitions, a nursery of fears, a harem 
of fondled hatreds. That's quite a list. Listen to it again. His life was a zoo of lusts, a bedlam of ambitions, a nursery of fears, a harem of fondled hatreds. Well, sin doesn't change much over the centuries, does it? Those phrases could also describe King David, and they could describe St. Augustine, and they could describe me. I imagine they could describe you. Facing up to our sins is never a comfortable task. The title of Lewis's autobiography is Surprised by Joy. There's that word again, joy. Christian life is rooted in an honest acknowledgement that we have sinned, sinned against God in thought, word, and deed, by things done and things left undone. But that confession does not permit us to wallow in despair. Rather, it is the first step to joy. The joy, which, as Lewis says, comes as a wonderful surprise. So now back to St. Augustine. Make me hear of joy and gladness, David prays. And Augustine suggests that our problem when we think about our sins is that we want to justify ourselves. We want to explain to God why we did what we did. We want to put ourselves in the best possible light. We, we want to make the case that we really aren't as bad as all that. We want to plead that plenty of other people have done as we have done and worse. We want to defend ourselves. Augustine puts it this way, you have sinned, why try to defend yourself? You want to do the talking, but let it be. Listen, allow God to get a word in. You have committed the sin, there's no point in trying to defend it. Let it come out as confession, not self-justification. If you engage yourself as counsel for the defense, you will lose your case. God is prepared to grant you forgiveness, but you are shutting the door in your own face. He is prepared to forgive, so do not put up a barrier of defense, but open your whole self by confession. And so when David prays, make me hear of joy and gladness, maybe we could paraphrase it something like this. Lord, make me stop talking and listen Make me stop trying to defend my sins or to hide my sins and just listen to God's word of forgiveness. You see, sorrow and joy are integrally connected in this psalm. They are indeed closely connected in any prayer of confession. Confession means embracing an honest sorrow for our sins It means being utterly honest with God, calling our sin what it is, refusing to nurse our fears and fondle our hatreds, but exposing them all, exposing our deepest failings before God. But then it means, having done that, simply shutting up and listening to God's response and believing God's response. And and, and God's response, of course, is to blot out our sins and to create in us a clean heart to renew a right spirit within us. That's the joy and the gladness David prays to hear and which we pray to hear. Augustine offers one other fascinating insight. David prays, hide your face from my sins. 
If you do not turn your face from your sin, Augustine suggests, then you can ask God to turn his face away from it. But if you thrust your sin behind your back, God fixes his gaze upon it. So switch your sin to a position before your face if you want God to turn his face away from it. Well, that's really it, isn't it? Paradox is that when we keep our sins before us, and and by that I I don't mean to wallow in them continually, but, but just to regularly and faithfully examine our lives with honesty and humility, when we keep our sins before us in that way, then God hides his face from our sins. When we try to hide them from ourselves, however, we always fail. We are like Adam and Eve, trying to hide in the garden, thinking if they can just stay out of sight, then God won't know what they've done. Of course, God sees them, despite their foolish and self-conscious efforts. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Those words are from the first letter of John, of course. But David's Psalm 51 teaches the same thing. And the wonderful grace and truth is that this honest confession, as difficult as it can be, is precisely the pathway to joy and gladness. The unique and wonderful thing about Ash Wednesday is that we come to the altar twice. We come first in sorrow and repentance, honestly confessing our sins, remembering that we are but dust, admitting that we have been wicked from our birth and that we have no hope but in the mercy of God. But then, after confessing, we hear the glad news of Jesus Christ who was in every way tempted as we are, yet did not sin, and who suffered death upon the cross for our redemption. And then we come to the altar a second time, knowing that our sins have been forgiven. We come not to be marked with that sign of our mortality, but to eat the bread of heaven and drink the cup of salvation. Joy and gladness indeed. And it is really very much a foreshadowing of this entire journey of Lent, which begins tonight in sorrow and confession, but ends on Easter with joy and resurrection. May God bless that journey for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.